A quick disclaimer, this episode contains sounds of fire alarms and gunfire. A man with a gun is marching down a school hallway, firing shots. The air at Pueblo East High School is filling with gun smoke. A bright white fire alarm is flashing in the darkness. Students are sprawled out on the linoleum floors. Fortunately, this is a drill. A new way of preparing schools, teachers, students, and first responders for what to expect in an active shooter situation. It is so unfortunate that we're at this place now where we have to prepare our kids in their schools to be equipped to respond to one of these things and to be able to to save their own lives. But is this way the best way? I think that that's very traumatic. It causes trauma in kids when it doesn't necessarily need to be there. From Rocky Mountain PBS, this is Insight, the podcast companion to our TV show. I'm Lori Jane Gleha. Our team has spent months examining the effects of the shooting at Columbine High School in 1999. Earlier this week, we checked in with three survivors of the attack to see how it's still affecting their lives. Today, on this second part of our Ripples of Columbine series, we're looking at another aspect of the tragedy. How are schools preparing for the possibility of an active shooter on campus? And what must it be like for someone who endured one of the most violent school massacres in our history to return to the classroom as a teacher? Someone like Corey Whitfield. In the middle of the class, um, we kind of heard like a loud banging toward that back door. And somebody had kind of lightly made a joke like, oh, it's a bomb. Um, Teacher kind of calmed us down, went right back to work. Through our front door, another teacher kind of came in and his face was completely white. And he didn't really have words. He just kind of stood there looking blank and didn't really know what to say. That immediately got everyone really concerned. Um, He told us that we needed to get out or get down. From there, instinct kind of kicked in. I knew that I shouldn't be getting down. I should be getting out. Corey was on the track team, but that day at Columbine, her feet felt like they were running through sludge. I felt like I was just moving in slow motion. I'm just running, literally, to the parking lot. I ended up going to the parking lot and going on to Bowles Avenue. I literally ran smack dab into a green car. Um, I bruised my face, but I smacked into the car and looked up, and it was actually my mom's car. Um, My mom was at home and heard what happened. She was on her way to the school, and just by the grace of God, I ended up running right into her car, specifically. Um, She got out in the middle of the street, got me, just threw me into the car. Over the years, it's been, I've been okay. I can think about it and not have too much angst. I can talk about it and not be really too upset. When I talk about hitting my mom's car, because that, that was God, you know, that, that right there was something that, that's my testimony. Um, I get emotional then. Before that day, Corey worked at a local childcare center and she dreamed of being a teacher like her father. After Columbine happened, I had told myself I would never go into a school again. I ended up quitting my job at the child care center. Um, just didn't want the experience ever again. I didn't feel safe. Every time she thought about going into another classroom. The anxiety was huge. I would drive by schools and just get 
pressure and feel like heavy and it just it wasn't worth it to me at that time. It was all physical and psychological. I mean my, I, my heart would race, my hands would be sweaty, I couldn't breathe. Um, a couple times I would, I'd start to tear up a little bit. I sat down with Corey a few weeks ago. She's 36 now. She has lots of curls and looks like she could possibly still be in high school herself, but she's a mother to a teen of her own now. The difficult part has been um, having my daughter in high school, and she is almost the same age that I was when it happened, and so that has really kind of surfaced a lot of emotions. Um, where I'm just double checking safety. I'm asking her if she's feeling safe. I'm, I'm constantly worried about her at school. And you know, does she know what exits to use and things like that if something were to happen. So I was really good for about 10, 11 years. And since she's been in high school, I've been, it's, it's almost been right back to where it was almost 20 years ago. What are you most afraid of? That she'll experience what I had to. Just that fear of not being safe and not making it home. I just wanted to make it home. Corey wiped tears from her eyes as she told me what it's been like to try to move on after the massacre at Columbine. Every April 20th, it comes back like it was last week and every thought is still there. I mean, I, I look down at my feet and I can see I had, you know, one shoe on and one shoe was gone with a torn up bloody sock and my jeans were torn, and I don't even know how it happened. Corey told me she's tried to pack away most of her emotions since the tragedy, and she found a way to work through her fear of feeling trapped inside a school. It was years later when I decided I really should go back in because my love of teaching was still there. And it was hard, but I ended up going back in for the kids and haven't looked back since. I mean, obviously this was in your heart that this is something that you would want to do. So how did you get over that hump, I guess? What helped you? Or I had a job interview that I had applied for to be a teacher and decided if I can make it through the interview in the school, then I could probably end up teaching in the school. Went through the interview and it was, it was perfect. I did look for every exit immediately when I went in, um, but it was less anxiety than was normal and I had to get over the hump. I think me having gone through this really was the push that I needed. You know, you can do this, you've survived this you can be an aide to kids in a situation. If it ever occurred, you know what to do, you know what to look for. Corey is now a kindergarten teacher. I love it. I love working with the kids. I love just teaching the kids. It's been a lot of fun. That's a In the 20 years that have passed since Columbine, how to make schools more secure has become somewhat of a debate. But for survivors like Corey, their first-hand experience at Columbine inevitably shapes their views about security in the classroom. We do fire drills, we do tornado drills, but there's, there was never any drills for what happens if an unwanted person is in the school. I just had to advocate and just say, you know, it's necessary. Um, we need to do something to where if the threat is in the school, we need to know as teachers what to do, that way we can inform our kids and our families. She's taken the district protocol for lockdown drills and kind of made it her own. We um, take the kids and we kind of line them up along. I have like a brick interior shelf. And so they sit along the shelf and um, they, they're very quiet. They have a book and they just know that if we ever have to do that, they're okay. And they're just sitting there and we're going to sit with them and we're just going to try to be as safe as we can. Uh, 
as I mentioned, I'm going to assign you guys to different paragraphs, okay? Not far from Corey and her kindergartners, another Columbine survivor also teaches in the Aurora Public School District. My name is Heather Martin, and I was a senior in 1999, the year of the shootings at Columbine. I was 17 years old. I actually turned 18 two days later. She teaches high school seniors, and she says last year when there were gun-related incidents near campus, she and her students knew what to do. For the rest of the day, when it was finally cleared, there was like a knock at my door every like four or five minutes. I was like, are you okay? I'm just coming to check on you. But I'm just like, I'm fine. I just need to get through this day. I'm going to go home. I'm going to fall apart. <laughs> All right, so here's my goal, friends. What I want to do is put together the slideshow and then read through the story one Heather time retells her story often, how she That's escaped why. from Columbine High School when she was 17 years old. Probably the first couple of years when people were like, oh, what was that like? Um, that question, I would just be like, well, imagine what kind of psychological damage it would be if you're sitting in a place for three hours knowing that you're going to die and just waiting. And they kind of like, oh, like, yeah, you probably can't imagine it, but I can. <laughs> On that day, Heather spent three hours hiding with dozens of classmates in a cramped office. They pushed desks in front of the door and waited until the SWAT team came to rescue them. When they knocked on the door... And one of the students I was in the room with said, we all looked at each other, like, what do we do? And so one of them said, who is it? And they said, SWAT team, open the door. And so we were like, oh my God, we got to get out of here. So we're trying to move the desks and like pile out of there. And we open the door. We come like flying out of the room. Like Corey, Heather has had to overcome a lot to be in the classroom again and to push for the safety measures she feels are necessary. Sometimes... It is hard for me to sort of advocate for safety because sometimes I wonder if they're like, oh, it's because she's a Columbine survivor. You know, like I, I do sort of fear that that stigma sort of attached to it when in reality, like my head and, and most of my heart knows like, no, this is important and we do, we need to be looking at this stuff. The Columbine shooters never entered a locked classroom. So students like Heather, who barricaded themselves, stayed safe. This is one of the most important lessons students and educators today have taken away from the Columbine shooting. Lockdown when there's a threat. This stuff matters. I've seen too many kids hurt. This is the life of an educator. So if it's just a job, go find another job. Our team was there when Heather went through this lockdown training lockdown session for teachers. Lockdown, lock slides out of sight. Lockdown, different lock school districts use different terms, but generally lockdowns happen if there's danger inside the building. 70% active killer events are over within five minutes. Teachers are taught to lock their classroom doors and turn out the lights. They found zero cases of a gunman breaching a locked classroom door. Students are taught to move out of sight, stay silent, and wait for responders to take them to safety. Just like the SWAT team did for Heather and her classmates 20 years ago. My kids will ask me, they're like, so what'll happen? What will you do if it happens here? And I'm like, well, I have a plan. I have a backup plan. I've got a backup plan for my backup plan. Right. Like, I've got this worked out, and I, I just don't want them to worry. I don't want them to feel unsafe. Yeah. And so I do my best to make them feel safe. So that brings us back to where we started. That very realistic active shooter drill in Pueblo. Can a drill like that actually help students feel safer? Or does it make them worry more than they should? We asked Pueblo Police Captain Charlie Taylor. I've heard 
some of the concerns about um, traumatizing the students. And that certainly is not what the goal is. The goal is never to traumatize anybody, but it is to give them a sense of what one of these situations could look like and to give them the tools to respond effectively. And there's no way to do that in a vacuum. Captain Taylor says this is the second time in the last two years that the first responders in Pueblo put together a realistic drill at the high school. And one important thing he points out is that no one was surprised by it. Every student and teacher who participated volunteered, knew it was coming, and school officials had to authorize whether a student was mature enough to participate. I think that the more realistic we can get, the better. And I've actually even heard the analogy that, well, it's, it, you know, if it's a... If it's a fire drill, we don't start a fire in the school. Well, everyone knows what fire looks like, and most of them, even the kids, have had some kind of tactile experience with that in the past. Active shooters are completely different, um, and they require exposure because most kids, and I would argue most adults, have never had any exposure to this. Captain Taylor says he's been in law enforcement for close to 25 years. He has kids of his own, too. And he wants to make sure everyone knows what to expect in a shooting. That includes the sights and the sounds. The common thing we always hear when we do these types of trainings is that we hear somebody say, well, I thought it was firecrackers. We just didn't know what that sounded like. We didn't know what to expect. And so... It was great, and it gave the teachers and the students an expectation. When we interviewed Columbine survivors, we heard that over and over again, that they thought the gunfire was something else. And we thought maybe somebody was lighting off firecrackers. We heard fireworks. He said, and then we I saw thought it was construction. This has to be a senior prank. It was paintball, it was a senior prank. A senior prank. What we've learned and what we've started to, to pass on to our, our schools and to the kids is that, look, if you hear what you think are fireworks in the school, that's not a good thing. And it probably is not fireworks. So if you hear that sound, you need to move to safety quickly. Back in the first episode of our series, Dewata Watt told us about the advice she remembered receiving when the shooters were approaching her and her friends in the Columbine library. And I just remember this librarian saying, everyone get underneath the table. Everyone get under the table now. We Captain Taylor says that's a big mistake. I hope, and this is what I've said during some of these events, is that I never see another one of these events where a kid's hiding under a table for cover. Um, we want to teach them to get out of there, if at all possible, first, and if not, to get behind a hard barricade so that they slow that person down and at least try to keep them from, from having access to, to the kids. Captain Taylor says this real-life training helped emergency responders fix holes in their plans so they'll be more prepared if the worst happens. And he hopes the drill helps students get ready, too. I can't imagine um, not educating our, our kids how to save their own lives. It would be, it just is unimaginable to me not to be able to give them some skills to survive knowing that this is a real threat. More schools are starting to do realistic drills. The Aurora District, where Corey and Heather work, held a realistic shooting drill in 2016 with more than 300 participants, but neither teacher took part in it. Heather told us she sees the value in training responders, but that she wonders what kind of support volunteer participants are getting after the drills. She does feel secure in her classroom, and 
she's very familiar with all three exits from the room. Every year they're like, so some teachers are going to have to move around. We might have to move some classrooms. And I'm like, and this is the part where I get a little embarrassed, where I'm like, oh, God, I have to tell someone again. Like, yeah. So I'll go to whoever my administrator is and be like, look, I just want you to know that one of the reasons why I really like my room is because there are three possible exits. We have both an interior door and an exterior door in my classroom, and both are locked at all times. I actually have an extra lock on my classroom door as well, just because um, it helps me feel safe. But both Heather and Corey, two school shooting survivors, say there's so much more educators can be doing to be prepared than focusing on doorways and drills. My focus really has been with my kids, my students, really on that social-emotional health. That's more important than the academics. The academics will come, but I want my kids to be good people and really focusing on their well-being overall. Um, the drills are great, but it's, it's got to be more focused on these, these kids who need help and what does that look like and getting more counselors in schools and more mental health in schools. I love what I do. I love being there in the classroom with kids. Um, it's kind of my way of just breaking through that fear. My English teacher said, you know, I hope you major in English and become an English teacher because your kids would love you. So that's something I think that has remained constant from the before me and the after me. I think that's pretty incredible and it's comforting to me to know that that horrible day did not just totally spin me out of control. Heather told us that she's pretty open with her students about her experiences at Columbine and her struggles over the years, in part because she wants them to be open about sharing their challenges with her, too. We've been meeting with Columbine survivors and reporting on the ripples in their lives for several months now. And it's been interesting to hear about the career paths survivors have taken and how many have said they've been inspired to go a certain direction, like teaching or nursing, because of what happened to them at Columbine. It's hard to know, though, whether these are just the types of careers a typical high school class would pursue after graduation, or whether these are paths that would not have been walked had the tragedy never occurred. If you haven't already, subscribe to Insight from RMPBS on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you get your podcasts. Here's what's coming on our next episode in our Ripples of Columbine series. Columbine, though, is a unique situation. There's nothing like it in the country. There's a morbid curiosity about the Columbine shooting that still lingers. It's like a tourist trap. Like, that is ridiculous. These are people's lives that were lost. Should the school have been torn down? It's a legacy to those kids who survived. And it's where children lost their lives. We investigate the unusual people visiting Columbine High School. I'm Lori Jangliha, and this is Insight, investigative reporting from Rocky Mountain PBS in Denver, Colorado. Our producers are Brittany Freeman and Paul Caroli. Sound editing, mixing, and design by Matthew Simonson. Special thanks to House of Pod in Denver. Our music is provided by First Com and Blue Dot Sessions. To go beyond Columbine, check out our TV programs, The Ripples of Columbine, airing on Rocky Mountain PBS. You can find those at rmpbs.org slash beyondcolumbine.